Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Rude Horror Podcast, episode 82. I'm your host, Marcus Rude. And uh, today we'll be talking about paranormal investigations, uh, the horror genre, as usual, and uh, also film distributions. So, uh, director, writer, producer Tony Cadwell comes on the show to talk about his films, Behind the Sightings and his newest balsam a paranormal investigation starring kane hodder leading the paranormal investigation so this is a pretty cool uh interview that i did with uh tony cadwell which will be coming up shortly but uh real quick i just wanted to mention uh midwest monster fest which is a uh horror convention here in the midwest uh, presents halfway to Halloween convention that'll take place May 13th and 14th at the Rock Island County Fairgrounds in East Moline, Illinois. And the uh, guest announcements so far are Damien Maffe, who uh, has played in several horror films and he's been on the podcast before. Uh, he stars in uh, Strangers Pray at Night wrong turn and uh haunt from 2019 that, that newer haunt film uh and uh so you know he plays the devil in haunt and then as well as another haunt cast member who plays the witch terry partica i think it's how you pronounce the name i i'm really bad at pronouncing names um and then we also have drew fortier um and david elfson who was a guitarist for Megadeth. And he's been in a couple of horror films as well. So very cool. Uh, look forward to the Midwest Monster Fest halfway to Halloween convention. Should be a fun time. And uh, then also, if you want to plan ahead, uh, September 16th, 17th, and 18th, Midwest Monster Fest will host their big convention and uh, there's only two guest announcements uh, David Howard Thornton from uh, the Terrifier series and uh, Cooper Andrews who starred in The Walking Dead will be there so for more information on Midwest Monster Fest both conventions you can go to MidwestMonsterFest.com for tickets, info and all that fun stuff so make sure to check it out if you're interested and going to a convention here in the Midwest. But without further ado, uh, let's just jump right into uh, the interview that I had with Tony Cadwell. And then after the interview, I will mention uh, what's coming up uh, next on the Root Horror Podcast. So stick around. Hello, everyone. I'm here with director, writer, producer Tony Cadwell, and he's here to talk about a couple of his newer films, uh, Behind the Sightings, and his newest, Balsam, a paranormal investigation that has uh, Kane Hodder in it leading a paranormal investigation, uh, which was pretty pretty cool documentary to watch, so uh, I'm excited to have the director here uh tony how you doing man 
man, I'm doing great. I appreciate you having me on. Uh, this is super exciting, uh, especially, you know, this time of year, it's always great to be talking about horror because everybody wants to talk about Christmas, New Year's. <laughs> but if you're like me, I like talking horror year round because it never stops, you know? Right, right. Yeah, I, I'm i with you, man. Like, I, I talk about horror all the time whenever I can. And, uh, you know, what's great about having this show is I have it going on all year round. So it's awesome to talk about horror with all kinds of people that want to come on the show. Um, so, you know, before we dive into uh, some of the newer films that, like I had just mentioned, uh, what got you into the horror genre? I mean, I've kind of always growing up been a fan um, of the genre. I remember watching Friday the 13th series as a kid and you know jason Voorhees, just the scariest thing in the world <laughs> and then you know nightmare on m street watching that and then i just fell in love with it my favorite in the in the whole horror genre has to be the texas chainsaw massacre though and you know watching it i've always wanted to make a horror movie i had never had that opportunity until a few years back when i got a chance to make behind the sightings but it's it's just a fun genre. I mean, it's 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 to me is horror is escapism. You get to just kick back, grab some snacks, and watch you know four or five people run around somewhere, and somebody like Jason or Freddy or Chucky or Art the Clown or whoever you mm -hmm. know kill these people, and it's 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 it's, it's entertainment, and it's, and it's it, to me it's just fun. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's it's one of those genres where there's no boundary, and anything's fair game, <laughs> like uh, molding anything really into the horror genre. It's uh, it's it's one of the greatest genres in my opinion, and that's why I have a show talking about horror because there's there's just so much out there, and there's so many little niches of horror to to talk about. So it's it's just, it's a great genre. Yeah, and I, you know, I'm a fan of the 80s, a lot of the 80s slashers. Some of this newer stuff coming out, I kind of like too. Um, it's it's kind of heartbreaking what we're seeing, what the studios are doing to some of the reboots of our classic characters. Mm -hmm. um, I'm, I'm nervous, to be honest with you, about the new Texas Chainsaw Massacre that's supposed to be coming out. Yeah. Um, you know, they shot it in Bulgaria instead of Texas. Millennium did the Leatherface movie, which was supposed to be an origin story for um, Leatherface. And in my opinion, they did a horrible job at it. They shot that in Bulgaria. Um, I was talking with R.A., who was uh, Leatherface in one of the... In part three, right? Part three, yeah. And um, he he didn't... He, he was kind of, like me, disappointed in what had what had transpired mm. uh with these newer films i think a lot of people i understand why the studios do it because anytime you drop a michael myers film and a halloween film you know a certain amount of people are going to go see it so yeah. financially they have a reward but i honestly believe big time hollywood studios could care less about us as horror fans so they don't actually value our opinion or input of what we would like to see 
Yeah, I and I I can agree. Like, uh, it just kind of seems like, you know, what's capitalized on like what's hot right now. So, you know, like the Halloween uh, kills and then ends next year. I think, um, you know, with Halloween Kills, that one was a huge success. Even with that movie streaming on Peacock while it's in theaters, it still surpassed, you know box office expectations i think and and with that said like these other studios are like well hey we got these other horror icons like leatherface like freddy and uh even the exorcist let's try to capitalize on you know what's hot right now and i guess (laughs) halloween reboots are you know still drawing in box office uh numbers so you know, I think they're just going to gravitate to whatever makes them money rather than what the fans want. Yeah, and and they're really missing the boat because if they gave the fans something new that we really wanted, it would financially make them money. So they're trying to take the shortest shortcut they can to the money uh, because the fact of the matter is, besides you know people in pop culture, horror fans are the only people that are buying physical media, mm-hmm. and. and you know, DVD sales, if you go to a Walmart right now, there's more of a vinyl section in a Walmart than there is a DVD section. I mean, yeah. DVD, red box is going under from what I've heard people say. They're focusing more on streaming. Uh, and sh- streaming, you know, is, is, is it's, it's a good avenue to get it out there, but it's also all streaming networks are based on algorithms. So when you go to, let's say, Amazon, for example, or Vudu, and you type in new releases, it's not going to give you what actually came out. Vudu will, actually. But most like Amazon and Hulu and all the rest, they'll show you what they think you will like to watch out of the new releases. They won't like give you a complete list. So mm-hmm. it could be challenging for indie filmmakers to find the next thing. And when you have studios not willing to invest in the horror genre, as far as new, new characters and new ideas, it's, it's going to be tough to, to see how the, the horror as a genre survives. And then we have a lot of people attacking horror that are, you know, I'll just call it, like I say, it woke. Um, I believe anybody can be anything and, you know, as long as they're not hurting other people in real life, I don't care. Mm -hmm. But you have some people telling horror filmmakers, you shouldn't show people basically getting killed in a horror movie. And I'm like, really? (laughs) You know, that's (laughs) what it's about is a killer killing people. Um, Right. Right. And to me, death is the one thing that's not prejudice. It's not discriminatory. You know, when you got some, a killer that's coming after someone, it doesn't care what your orientation is, what your background is, where you came from. That thing's going to kill you. Yeah. So it, it, to me, horror doesn't come from a, a prejudicial place, but they're trying to, you know, they're trying to make more woke horror movies, which is what we're seeing in the, in the reboots, which I don't think is going to work well for the, for the genre as a whole. But it, I mean, it is what it is. And right. until we as the fans, we control the power of the purse strings. When stuff comes out don't that, that doesn't meet your expectations, don't buy it. Right, exactly. 
And, you know, if you think about it, everything is kind of like an era in a way. So, like, right now, we're kind of in an era of reboots again. <laughs> like I don't know how many times that some of these have been rebooted, but we're kind of like in an era of we're seeing, like, woke reboots. Um, but who's to say 10 years from now we might be getting something completely different? Like, you know, horror changes as time goes on. So I think we're seeing all these reboots. I think um, eventually we're going to get, like, you know, up-and-coming, like, writers, like horror writers or, you know, directors. Uh, just they're going to come up with their own original films and scripts uh, as time goes on, I think. I think... You know, we're not going to be stuck watching reboots the rest of our lives. Hopefully not. But, uh, you know, hopefully yeah. this will spark, you know, the younger generation to want to make a change. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I always encourage people to, to just grab a camera. Regardless. I mean, everybody's got a camera that's got a cell phone. You know, film what you can film until you get to the level of where you want to be. So a lot of guys jump in and say, I just want to do a feature film and they hadn't even done a TikTok video. <laughs> so, so I just had somebody, a friend of mine called me the other day and like, I liked balsam. I like behind the sightings. How, how, how do I get into this thing? And I told him point blank, go and watch. There's a movie that just come out. That's kind of more sci-fi than horror by Robert Rodriguez called red 11. Hmm. Uh, he did the movie on supposedly $7,000, but, and he used like five lights. He used two flapjack lights and like three mobile lights. And he used the C300 with a cinematic lens. So he, he had a nice camera, but not a gazillion dollar studio camera. But after you watch that movie, you can rent Robert Rodriguez film school, the new one that he did that shows you how he made that movie on 7,000. And then wow. come up with your plan of how you could shoot something because everybody, a lot of people have a dream of, I want to make a, a horror movie or I want to make a movie. And then they want to have a gazillion dollars and 20 people working for them. And unless you already have a gazillion dollars in your back pocket, you got to learn how the camera works yourself. You got to be the camera guy. You got to be the craft food service guy. You got to be the prop guy. Like you got to do everything yourself until you get to the point that, you get the attention to get the the budgets to do bigger movies that get out there, you know? Right. Yeah. And that's interesting that, uh, you know, when, when you think of like directors, you think like, Oh, they kind of tell people what to do. But like, if you're starting out as a new director, I mean, you pretty much have to be like everybody. Like, I mean, you have to learn how to do what everyone does. And sometimes you know you have to do everything yourself because maybe you don't have a big crew or you don't have any crew um and and that's yeah. what that's what got me into filmmaking was watching el mariachi that robert rodriguez did because i said i'd love to you know go to hollywood and make a movie and do this this and this and then i watched el mariachi he basically went to mexico spent seven thousand dollars to shoot on film Mm -hmm. So most of his budget went on actual film. Um, the movie El Mariachi came back 
got an agent, sold it to Columbia Pictures for $3 million and did the whole Desperado series. Mm. And he does these little 10 minute film schools back then, which some of the stuff is still applicable now. And he wrote a book called Rebel Without a, Clu a, a Crew. Mm -hmm. And basically what he was saying was, you know, when you work at the studio system, you got the money. So you, any problems you have, you have the money solution. But when you're creative and you're trying to make things happen for yourself, um, you, you have to learn everything yourself. You have to learn the lighting. And that's where, that's where it best because like with Behind the Sightings, the found footage clown film that I shot, mm -hmm. I didn't edit that. Um, I had a crew. It was done through, with, through, the, through the studio system, believe it or not. <laughs> um, and you, you lose a certain amount of creative control when you go through a studio. Um, balsam on the other hand is something that I had complete creative control over and I edited it and it, it, I enjoy the process of having control. So it, it just depends on where people want to go as a horror filmmaker is, do you want to capture everything that's on a script and how, or do you want to write the script yourself and see your vision come to life? And nothing, nothing's worse than writing it, filming it, and then handing it over to somebody else. And they cut out key scenes and key things, and you don't get the picture that you envisioned in your head. Right. And, I, you know, I talking to, like, other filmmakers and other indie filmmakers, that kind of seems to be, like, a pattern as to... Um, I want to say a pattern, but, I mean, it, it, I guess it's unfortunately kind of common to see... You know, you put you put a lot of heart and soul into making these films and how you envision it. And then once, you know, a distributor, or, you know, a company wants to come in and pick it up, then it's then it's in their court to decide what stays, what goes. Uh, we're going to change the whole uh, maybe poster key art or, you know, like <laughs> kind of change everything to where it's not even the movie that you originally wanted to start off making. Yeah, I've had um, I made a lot of movies back in the day, and uh, most of the movies never, you know, never going to end up in IMDb and never going to end out there on streaming. Most of them were sold out of the trunk of the car, and I made more selling DVDs out of the trunk of a car than I did when I got my bill for a picture. And mm -hmm. the reason is that, and I'm just going to be truthful with you, and because I, I'm at that stage in my career, I can just tell the truth. Mm -hmm. is uh, people a lot of people in the distribution game the distribution game is to cheat you so you go out and film a movie and you give it to a distributor they sign you this nice deal they're probably not going to pay you more than a few thousand dollars up front and then you're probably never going to see a dime from the picture so that's mm -hmm. why a lot of filmmakers go out and can't never make a second or third or fourth picture is because they don't understand the distribution side of things or they think that they're going to film something for a lower budget and it and and get a huge amount out of it and they're not it's that's not going to happen uh this day and age because there's so much content being produced um so i i encourage everyone to learn the distribution side that's what i did i just i own h13 media which distributed both behind the sightings and balsam mm -hmm. um and i'm currently acquiring other uh indie films too because 
I got tired of giving my movie to someone else and then they never pay me. Yeah. And that's the biggest thing. Packaging, um, you know, sometimes you gotta, you, you gotta change the key art. And the reason is, is you take it to the sales agent as a, you know, taking my filmmaker hat off and putting it on the, the distributor hat. You take the key art to your salespeople. The way it works is, every streaming service every store has a sales rep and these sales rep they won't talk to an individual they only talk to a distributor mm -hmm. so you t you have your sales agent take that all to these people and they don't watch the film they might watch the first 20 to 30 second of a trailer um or they'll look at your packaging and might not even watch the trailer but a lot of times, most of them, I would say, is going to watch the trailer, mm -hmm. uh, at least, and look at the packaging. But they're never going to watch the movie. And right. that's how movies are, are bought and sold. So that's why a lot of times you'll see in Walmart a bomb movie that with a great cover, that, a great trailer. And then when you throw that DVD in, it's like, what the heck is this? <laughs> right. um, because people are manipulating that game. And you can only get away with that for a certain period of time, too. Um, but it's, it's just tricky out there because streaming has really revolutionized everything. It's a good thing and a bad thing. Uh, a lot of, I know a lot of indie heart guys are like, Oh, I'm just going to put my stuff on Amazon prime, but Amazon prime, if you do it yourself and not through a distributor, they're not going to give you primary, primary placement. And you're only going to get one to two cent an hour for your content. Hmm. You, so, regardless of how many views you have, you could have like a hundred thousand views, or you could have ten thousand views. You're still gonna get, you know, couple, that, couple pennies to the dollar, right? Cor correct. And it can work. Uh, the only way that it works, they they pay more is through engagement. Um, if somebody watches your whole movie and then turn it around and rates your movie and leaves a review, then you'll break into a next tier. Uh -huh, okay. But a lot of filmmakers don't even know that. A lot of people think I'm just going to get my stuff out there. And when you release a movie on Amazon, for example, they you're not going to show up under that new releases. So you have to educate the viewer on when, how to find your movie. Um, mm -hmm. And, and it, it, it becomes a complex game of, of connecting the people that you envision want to watch your movie with the movie and and even though the avenues of getting it out there are more and more it's just harder and harder to connect with the fans right yeah uh self-distributing or even like self-promoting can be difficult sometimes and uh but i mean really it's it's the cheapest way promoting everything yourself you just have to try to find like the right uh audience to i guess promote to yeah uh it's 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 one of those things um i give you example you can have a hundred thousand followers on facebook um but when you do a post it might only a thousand people might see it because facebook uses the algorithm as to where to show your content mm -hmm. and it's just it's just learning the game so a lot of guys when they want to get into the filmmaking industry it's like I encourage you to learn it from not only shooting it, edit it, package it, and dis 
the distribution. On the distribution side, you can only do so much for yourself until you need to either make a decision to become a label and start acquiring products or putting out a whole line of a catalog of products or turn your stuff over to a distributor that's actually honest and will actually pay you your residuals every quarter when you're supposed to get them. Right. In which, from what I hear, uh, there's there's not too many uh, honest distributors, unfortunately. Um, which, you know, I, I don't know. I guess we're in an era where uh, there's so much content getting pushed out from streaming, so that means there's more distributing companies, and they're all trying to uh, uh, either... Uh, you know, obviously make a profit and then also uh, uh, be in competition. And, uh, you know, usually the the profit side is, is where, uh, you know, the distributors really want to have their main focus on. And then that, that means, you know, trying to save as much money for themselves and, you know, how much money can we get away with, you know, giving uh, the people that make the films less amount as much as possible. Yeah, a lot of them view it as a filmmaker may never make a, a second film. So they're going to take your first film and not pay you. You're not going to make a second film so they didn't lose anything. Mm -hmm. My philosophy is different. What if you're just honest with people and say, hey, this is what you owe. This is what is sold. This is what we're doing this is how it's done, then that person might be able to go off and make a second, third, and fourth film, and they're going to come back to me because I treat them, tre treated them right versus going back to someone else that, you know, if somebody burns you and never pays you a residual, you're not going to give them a second picture. Mm -hmm. um, and it's, 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 it's just a, a, tough situ a, a tough situation when it comes to that because, like you said, it's so... There's so many horror stories out there. I mean, like I said, I've given away two pictures myself um, that, you know, there's nothing worse than going into a Best Buy and seeing your film sitting at an end cap and never getting a residual check for it. And you know it made money because people bought it. Right. Um, you know, and that's what that's why I, I, I created a situation for myself to help other people and to help myself to where I could control the product from going out to shooting it, to distributing it through not self-distribution, but having a legit distribution company th through H13 Media. Um, and, and, and I'm happy. I mean, I'm happy doing it that way because when you take it through the studio system, whatever they pay you up front is all you're gonna get. Mm -hmm. And then they can change your vision. And when they change your vision, creatively that could take a decent movie and make it a horrible movie or that could take a horrible movie and make it a little bit better but more times than not it takes a decent movie and doesn't and makes it not so decent um unfortunately when a studio hires an editor they don't go out and say hey i want to hire a horror editor they go out and just hire whoever's available that week that has worked with the company before mm-hmm and I, I, when I do a horror movie, I, I feel like us as horror fans know the genre. We know the formula of what works because we know what we want to see when we watch a horror movie. And that's what makes this so exciting to, 
to when you actually get to produce a legitimate horror movie that it's it's something good when it when it's more comes from the fans i mean look at terrifier it's not a huge hollywood production it's something damien did created art the clown and the fans love it because he he's a horror fan and right. you know if the film has faults all films have faults my film has faults um because we're limited by budget crew time uh and and things that we have access to uh, mm-hmm. Not to make excuses for my own shortcomings, but you know, it's anytime you make a picture, it's a struggle because you only have so much time, you only have so much time on set, and you only have so much uh, things you have access to, and you gotta and you gotta take care of the people that work for you too. You can't expect somebody to sit out there and you know work a sixteen-hour day in the freezing cold and not get breaks, not get bathroom breaks, not eat. You know, you got to oh, take care right, of your people, right. you know? Right. And, you know, there, uh, there, there's things called, like, movie critics, right? So, I mean, like, every movie isn't going to be perfect. There's always going to be someone that is either going to rave about a movie and think it's, like, the best movie ever, and there's always going to be those people that say, oh, my gosh, that movie was the worst. Don't even go see it. Like, there, there's just opinions everywhere. Everyone has an opinion. And, uh... You know, you know, Terrifier was an amazing movie. Uh, I've had uh, David Howard Thornton on the show before. I think it's been maybe a couple of years, but uh, uh, he's just even just an awesome guy to talk to. Yeah. And uh, you know, you can just tell that these guys just are horror fans, like you said, like they love the genre and they want to see films get made that, uh, or they want to make films that they want to see. And you could definitely mm-hmm. see that in Terrifier. And, you know, I think uh, myself included, I think a lot of us are excited to see Terrifier 2 because of, you know, how great the first one is. And then hearing about, you know, how they're just going to up the ante on the second one. So just makes things even more exciting. Yeah, I'm going to I'm gonna um, see them in February at Mad Monster Party in Charlotte, North Carolina. Oh, nice. um, doing an appearance there with Kane, and I'll have uh, Boston DVDs available for people to purchase and behind the sightings, and also be looking out for you know people that are producing new movies that might be needing a a legitimate distributor, because um, that's that's really a passion of mine too. Is it, it it breaks my heart that people go out and raise the money for a film, they get all the way through to the finish line. And then they give it to a distributor. You turn on the streaming networks and it's, you know, it's on Voodoo. It's on Amazon. It's on Tubi. Mm-hmm. It's on all these streaming services. And they don't get a check. It, that, that's just horrifying that, that you know the film got, it, you know, sold. You know consumers bought it. We're t- we talk about a lot of these movies, but the filmmaker never sees a dime and that's just a passion of mine is to educate people on that side of things and to help people out as much as possible because it's it's the genre cannot new people cannot come up straight straight through if if we can't make it financially viable for people to create art and 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 get paid for the art that they create Mm -hmm. and you know the that's awesome that that you are an honest uh, filmmaker or uh, well filmmaker, but a distributor, 
and work for a distributing company that, or, you know, started your own distributing company. Um, we, you know, we need more people like you because, uh, it just, it just seems like there's a lot of dishonest film, uh, distributors and, you know, these people, you know, like, like we're talking about these people, uh, put blood, sweat, and tears into these films and then never see a dime. So it's, it's awesome to hear that there are good distributors out there. They're just hard and far in between to find, but they're out there. Yeah. And people just got to learn, uh, you know, sometimes people have to learn the hard way. I had a friend of mine, uh, a few months back, he's like, oh, I'm signing a deal with these people. I said, man, they're not going to pay you. He's like, what do you, ah, I don't know. I was like, okay. So then I never heard it. I said, dude, it didn't hurt my feelings. You went through them and not me. Um, you had to learn, you know, sometimes you got, you got to get took to learn, mm -hmm. but it is what it is. Um, I, and, and I mean, and, and that's the, the thing of it. I, I just think that in the, in the future, if people that are in the entertainment industry, especially when you're dealing with this within the studio system, it's a very cutthroat business. Mm -hmm. And my background is the Marine Corps. I spent ten, nine years, seven months. I rounded, rounded up to 10, but nine years, seven months in the Marine Corps. Mm -hmm. And you don't go to war by yourself. It's a team. So mm -hmm. you can't be successful as a filmmaker uh, by yourself. You need a team of people, you know, you might direct the picture and might not have access to certain things, work on trade for people. Hey, I'll go be the cameraman on your picture if you come and be the cameraman on mine. I mean, where there's a will, there's a way to get things done, especially right. with technology these day and age. Cause I mean, hell, I was shooting the other day. I had, uh, we were shooting a paranormal investigation or getting ready to shoot a paranormal investigation. I was with a gentleman named Eric Vitali. We were in Connecticut. I got to go up there and meet the Annabelle doll. Oh, wow and awesome. we were yeah that was that was kind of freaky because you know part of me's like oh it's a raggedy and doll but they did make like a whole horror franchise off of annabelle right. and getting to see it like in its case people bless it when they bring it in it's got you can't touch it it's a very serious it's a very serious thing right um, but people, we filmed yeah. We went up there and filmed uh, another paranormal investigation. It was me and Eric in it. Uh, it's going to be coming out this this year too, called Paranormal Proof: um, Hauntings in New England. Mm, okay. Hauntings of New England. I'm sorry. Uh, and he, we were sitting there, and I had shot a bunch of stuff the day before, and we'd been up all night. So I was unloading data cards and organizing my stuff. Um, cause when you do an paranormal investigation, it's, it's more like of a running gun filmmaking instead of, you know, things that are staged. Right. Um, because you can't get on set and say ghost action and they come out. You gotta like, whenever stuff starts happening, you gotta be ready to film. Right. So we're sitting in there and I got my iPhone and it's just like an iPhone pro max. Um, and I, something started happening and I just hit record on the camera here. And then when I come back and downloaded it later on, I'm like, Holy crap, the quality just off of an iPhone 
is, is amazing. And I know people have shot whole movies on iPhones, but usually they use like a lens adapter and they use like thousand dollar lenses with the iPhone. Right, right. Or or they'll jailbreak the iPhone and put a special software on there. So when, they're kind of disingenuous. I didn't shoot the whole film. I just shot like 45 seconds, but I was just surprised at at the quality of 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 cameras that you don't need a ten thousand dollar camera to shoot things these days and age. Right, right. Especially like uh you know, found footage type films or even like you know, like the paranormal investigation films, I guess. I mean you really just need to grab a camcorder and uh you know, if you got the equipment to, you know, like ghost uh, hunting equipment, I'm sure that really helps. But, uh, you know, as yeah, far as like a filmmaker just going out there and filming stuff, those are, you know, types of genres that you could get into easily. Yeah, you just need good stories. Stories and actors. Actors are the hardest thing to find. Because um, a lot of people that can act can't turn it on when you say action. Because that's a lot of pressure when you say action. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, uh, but it, it be, it is what it is. What, uh, behind this, I wanted to, to go, go back, talk about behind the sightings a bit. You found footage. What do you think of found footage films? I was a huge fan. I like the Poughkeepsie tapes was, and Blair Witch was my two favorites. Yeah. So like, uh, um, found footage films, like they're not like, uh, I wouldn't say they're my favorite, but, uh, it is like an interesting subgenre, if you will, and like you know, the Blair Witch Project was 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 a good one. Uh, even like the VHS film franchise, I really liked that. And um, I didn't get around to seeing the the Poe, what is it, the Poe Gipsy tape? Or I forgot that's Gipsy, yeah. I didn't get around to seeing that one, so I can't really say much about that one. But even like you know, George Romero's uh, Diary of the Dead. Like, even though yeah. that one wasn't, like, you know, the strongest in the franchise, but I, uh, I I appreciate what he tried to do. He tried to change it up and do something different, especially when found footage was kind of hot back then. Like, with Cloverfield was another one that was pretty good. That was a higher-budget yeah. uh, production. But, you know, found footage, it's, it, it is an interesting uh, subgenre. And uh, it, it's really cool to see just all the different things that you can do with found footage. And I don't even think we've really uh, scratched the surface as far as like what found footage could do. Yeah, I, with, with behind the sightings, we filmed that back in 2017. And if anybody ever wants to watch a film that's a cursed film, I tell people all the time this thing was cursed because uh, we had people that, you know, if anything could go wrong, it did go wrong after production mm -hmm. uh, and before production. And basically what happened was I was in a studio meeting pitching movies and they were like, anything else you got? And we were in the middle of the clown sightings. And I was like, what if we did like a Blair Witch with clowns? I didn't have a treatment, nothing. I just threw that out there. They're like, green light that right now. Let's do this. Hmm. And then... Two weeks later, I had them the, the treatment uh, and script with it. And with that, I wanted to, it's funny because the things that I wanted to do is the thing that people criticize the most. Um, 
which I don't mind people's criticism. I, I appreciate anybody that takes the time to watch a movie that I did. Um, I honestly do. And if they hate it, I'm sorry they hate it. Shoot me a thing and tell me how I could do better, and I'll, I'll keep it in mind if I have the resources to do it. Mm -hmm. um, but everybody was like, the two main characters are so freaking dumb. I hate them. Like, why would you go in the woods to see clowns? And I'm like thinking to myself, that's what I wanted. I wanted like people to watch this and root for for the killer, not the victim. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Well, like in their defense, because I, I did watch the film, in their defense, like they're they're really interested in the clown sighting. So... Of course they want to go in the woods because they want to capture the clowns on camera. Like, that was their whole thing, was that, you know, they wanted proof that, you know, these clowns were real and that these clowns were actually tormenting, like, the county and the towns. Mm -hmm. And 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 it's, 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 it goes into that whole, like, it's a Geico commercial that's my favorite. It's, it's like, oh, should we get in the car that's running or run back in the house or go in the shed or, you know, it, and that's what you have to do when you navigate in a horror movie is make horror movies are about people that make to me are about people that make poor choices. I mean, mm -hmm. we're going to go to a camp where the Jason drowned in a lake and his mother chopped some people's heads off and she got killed and everybody that goes there dies but we're going to reopen the camp i mean <laughs> exactly <laughs> we're going to we're going to move on to m street like would you really in real life if all these people died on m street i would never live on that street i would be like heck no right you know i mean <laughs> so it, it's about making making people make bad decisions and i enjoyed making that it, we filmed that in 13 days uh in north carolina oh wow uh, i Forever, I couldn't talk about it. I had actual crew. Uh, Caleb Childers was my DP on that. He did an amazing job. We shot it on the C500, and it 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 looked. I wanted. I, my idea was if you if you if they were shooting an actual documentary in 2016, it wouldn't be like the Blair Witch because the Blair Witch they were shooting that on a film camera, mm -hmm. and it wouldn't be so shaky because camera stabilizations have changed since then. So I didn't want to do a whole, it's just like shaky and poor quality. I mean, VHS does that, but that's VHS because you're finding VHS tapes. Um, mm -hmm. So in today's found footage is be people finding a hard drive. And that hard drive would have probably at least 1080p to 4k footage on it. Um, and and we we finished that up in 2017 and then turned around and the film got lost at one point people passed away that were involved with the picture um and i just lucked up of, about a less than a year ago and one of the guys that worked as a colorist kept a a copy of the film because the post-production house in hollywood went out of business hmm. and shut down and went unexpectedly Oh, wow. and, and and the picture was lost. Oh geez. Well, luckily and you I was still had it, right? <laughs> yeah. So I somebody told me, hey, talk to this guy. We got well, he had colored the film, so I just like on chance called him and was like, hey, 
do you know anybody might know where this film is? Because if not, I got to start from scratch. Uh -huh. And because um, uh -huh. I, I mean, I had backup drives here, but he was like, oh, here, here's, here's what we have. Um, and we were fortunate enough to, to, you know, to put it, put it out there after a while. Um, then, and, and I'm glad that it's out there. I'm hoping people like it enough that we could do a part two to that. Cause I really got some crazy stuff <laughs> brewing around <laughs> for a part two. Right. Right. And, you know, it's interesting to hear that, you know, you had made the film in 2017, like, you know, around the time that, you know, it kind of seemed like nationwide that there's this, these clown crazes going on. Um, do, you, do you think it's better that the film has been released later rather than, you know, around the time? Do, or do you think that it would have been, it would have done better during the time of the, the clown craze? If they would have listened to me and dropped it in 2017, it would have done amazing because it was fresh and we could have probably gotten more traction. Because when I dropped the trailer in 2017, it got a million hits. Mm. Wow. And then since the clown sightings, I don't know about you, but I mean, with COVID, the, all the politics and everything going on in the world, it's like bring back the clowns. I will, I, I, I crave for a time where all we had to worry about in America was clowns. Uh -huh. <laughs> right. Like, oh my so God, it you see that clown down the street? <laughs> I mean, that, that would, if we, you know, we've kind of survived the apocalypse now, so it doesn't hold the same weight that it does, but I hope people still watch it and remember the fonder times of clowns you know? right like bef yeah before COVID and everything we had clowns running around with either weapons or <laughs> it's like don't go on the, the streets because there's a clown with a machete <laughs> yeah and this is this was the first clown uh found footage clown film none of these other films that i was being compared to after the fact were were out so i mm -hmm. didn't have the benefit of like watching gags which is a fairly decent movie um and learning from them and, and and improving upon what i did i just had like hey 13 days shoot this get it in the can can you do it mm -hmm. and okay yeah i got you and what the other thing that's funny is people were talking people were saying telling me your dialogue is horrible if you need any help writing dialogue let me know i didn't have any dialogue written for the film because a lot of found footage films seem to script it. Mm -hmm. So what I would do is write summary uh, paragraphs like, hey, I want you guys to talk about this. And then I gave um, Jessica and Todd the research material and let them look at the source material and talk intelligently about it. We all live together in a bed and breakfast and you know all those days and we had like 13 days to shoot and two days prior and it, it was just you know them for lack of a better way of saying of ad-libbing summaries because it felt more natural that way right yeah yeah trying to make everything organic and, and I that's mean, the key with found footage it, right yeah like no, i want to say like what am i trying to say like no one wants to see like scripted found footage if that i don't know if that makes sense so like it is, it is yep. kind of cool to hear like 
a lot of things kind of came together organically rather than staged in a way. Right. And then what's the flip side of that is when you're working with a studio and you're like, Hey, what's my special effects budget? And they give you that budget and it's not realistic to what you want to do. So you have to make some ad hoc changes when you're balancing money with, you know, your time because in 13 days, it's almost impossible to shoot a picture and everybody did amazing. Um, doing that right and it it is what it is and on the flip side of it with balsam we sh with the paranormal thing it was weird because i wanted with found footage everybody will tell you found footage isn't in no need to shoot one but yet you still have people dropping like studios dropping vhs uh 94 and there's yeah. always a base for found footage if it's done well um, right i agree there's Facebook groups with like 40, 50, 60,000 people in them that just talk about found footage films all the time. Um, with that being said, I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do next. And we were sitting around watching TV and I had never watched Ghost Adventures. And Great show. I, I, I saw the first episode of that. And I, from a production standpoint, I was like, is this actually going like, like this is easy to shoot because you got a limited crew. You just go to the place for a few days and you get what you get. And, you know, like I said before, ghosts don't say you can't say action and a ghost shows up. Um, you just have to go try to communicate and see what happens but i didn't know if if like the whole paranormal thing was real because that always is these people on tv faking it or not mm -hmm. and I, I looked i looked at my wife and i said "Shit, there's only one way to find out um and this was about three years ago when this happened so i, I reached out to bill chapel who makes the ovulus um i reached out to several other people that had made equipment that was on ghost adventures. Cause my idea was, can I take the, as just as an individual, can I take the equipment that I see on ghost adventures and go to a place that ghost adventure was, was at and get a similar response. Mm -hmm. So it took, I, it took me six months to get an ovulus cause Bill Chapel had a waiting period on it. And when we got it and we got some other equipment, I flew out to Vegas I'm in North Carolina and I had never been to Vegas and we went to Vegas, went to Zach's, uh, haunted museum, which he's got a great haunted museum. That's a, he's got a, a serial killer collection that would make any horror fan jealous. Wow. Um, yeah. I, I would love to go there one day. <laughs> yeah. He's got a uh, Ed Gein's cauldron and it's set up in a room that looks like it should be on Friday the 13th. Wow. Um, it, it, it and I actually got to see Zach. I didn't have a conversation with him, but he came by and said hello. Thanks for coming out to the museum, that sort of thing. Wow. So then we got we got in the car and I said I'm. We drove three and a half, almost four hours up to Goldfield because he went to the Goldfield Motel Hotel. And we were supposed to go there, and the owner at the time got hurt, and his son wouldn't wouldn't let us in. But just being there, you kind of got a sense of like, this place is spooky as, as can be. <laughs> and then we went to the Goldfield High School 
and that was just a daytime walkthrough and you was you would hear stuff like banging and knocks and stuff just plain ears right. so i'm like okay this can't all be rats that nobody else is in here but us and the tour guide what's going on here so i'm i'm a skeptic when it comes to the paranormal so we drove up a little you know 25 i think 35 minutes north of goldfield is the clown motel so we went to the clown motel and the tonopah both of which uh and tonopah both the clown motel and the mizpah motel have both been on episodes of ghost adventures and i stayed at the clown motel for three days and this wasn't for a movie or anything this was just in prep work to determine if i wanted to shoot a paranormal investigation mm-hmm. um because my idea was to shoot a legitimate paranormal investigation not a found footage film like behind the sightings right and when we went to the clown motel i took that ovulus and i have it on film i think i'm going to use the footage in this in this new one paranormal proof i turned that ovulus on and i say you know is there anything out here that would like to speak with me you know you could communicate to this device is there anything here and the thing says no wow it it just shuts up like and i'm yeah, like really? straight up no like that that ain't creepy <laughs> yeah and so then, then i'm in my room doing my idea was and my approach i'm a filmmaker not a paranormal investigator so i use a lot of my logic that i learned working in military intelligence in the marines it's like, okay, if you can have two devices communicate the same message independently, then maybe there's something here. And I was in the room and I had uh, the spirit box going and, and, and it said, I said, how many, is there any spirits here? And the ovulus went off. And then I said, how many spirits are here? And the thing said nine. Holy crap. And I was just like, like really, really, really? I was like, this is crazy. So... I get back from Vegas and I'm like, I could shoot something, but what, how, how do I want to do this? I don't know any paranormal investigators. I kind of feel like I need a paranormal investigator that's actually has done this thing. So I was at a, a, I did, we were at a horror convention, um, in Raleigh, just passing through and somebody had asked me like what do you think you're going to do next are you going to do a slasher i I said i think i want to do a like a legit paranormal investigation and it was like those two girls that just those two ladies that just walked over there they said they do do paranormal investigations so i flagged Hmm. down maven amanda who are in balsam and they both had been on the discovery channel um they've been doing it for like 10 15 years Mm-hmm. And I said, y'all, can y'all show me a little more about this paranormal stuff? And I, they're like, why? I was like, I want to do a movie. And I was like, it's not what you think. It's going to be like an indie movie. It's going to be, I wanted, the idea was to, to, to create a paranormal investigation and shoot it like a film footage horror movie. So you don't necessarily have to believe in ghosts to enjoy the picture. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what I hope I tried to accomplish with, with Balsam. And a few months later, they called me up and was like, we think we got a place that is the most haunted place in the world. And they took me up into the mountains of North Carolina and the Waynesville in the town called Balsam. And there's this 112-year-old hotel that is built on area that used to be occupied by Cherokee, uh, the Cherokee Indians. 
Mm-hmm. And there Indian massacres, murders, trains right by a train yard, which I guess trains are supposed to be a conduit for the paranormal. Mm-hmm. Um, I was like, eh, this place, can I, it, it looks cinematically, it looks good. I was like, but is it haunted? <laughs> you know? Right, right. So the owner's like, yeah, it's haunted. Come spend a couple of days here by yourselves. So the owner just like let us stay there in the off season for three days. And at the beginning of the movie, and I I uploaded it on social media too, we were filming test footage because when I go out for pre-production, I film everything because you never know what you could use the footage for. Um, And basically what happened is these doors started moving off camera. And when we turned the camera on to them, they stopped moving. And then Maeve said, if they shouldn't stop moving just because we're filming it. And they started back moving again. And she said, if this isn't just the wind, make the ovulus talk. And then the ovulus started talking. So that, that kind of, that kind of blew my mind with that. I was like, this is the place right here right right you know and we were lucky enough to hook up with kane and i don't know if if you know it because everybody knows you know kane hatchet and friday the 13th series but he's a adamant paranormal investigator and he started the hollywood ghost hunters wow yeah i i uh you know i know about kane but i i guess i hadn't really realized that he was a paranormal investigator as well so it's really cool to to see that you guys could team up on this uh like how how did you get involved with kane like you know Um, how how did kane get on the project well i had worked with uh some of the producers of the film had knew kane and i met kane and had conversations with him about uh different things in the past and he we we knew of each other but never worked on a project together Mm -hmm. and I, I, we approached him and I said, Kane, you want to do this? And he's like, you probably don't want me to do this. And I'm like, okay, why? He's like, cause I'm a big skeptic. And I was like, okay, that's what we want. Cause this is going to be real. This isn't going to be like some of these paranormal shows on the discovery channel where it's fake. Cause right. you, you know, there are some, sh- some shows that go out and they film and they're not very, you know, they, they got to get a result because they have money out filming. Um, so I think some of these shows, you are more, some shows, I mean, they, they have their reputations are more staged than others. So Kane's like, I'll come, but um, nothing can be faked. And if I see anything being faked, I'm leaving immediately. Mm-hmm. And if I don't want to, if, if I don't think the equipment is up to par, I'm not working with a specific piece of equipment. Mm-hmm. I said, that's fine. I said, I wouldn't want you to, to work with anything that you didn't have faith in to begin with. And two, we're just going to like, we're just going to go here and see what we get. And he just didn't believe like people didn't even now when I tell people it's like, you just went out there with no script and just filmed an investigation. I'm like, yeah, that's how you're supposed to do a paranormal investigation. Um, and, is, and that's we, awesome, dude. You know? And, and what we got was 
I think is something very special. I mean, anybody that watches it that thinks Kane's going to get scared and run away doesn't know Kane Hodder. Kane <laughs> Hodder's not scared of shit. <laughs> Pardon my French, I'm sorry. Right, but, you know, he's Jason Voorhees. You know, he's, right. he's not a scaredy cat. Uh, but it, you see it in the trailer for the film. He says he makes a living being uncomfortable. It was kind of fun for him to be uncomfortable. And the fact that we made a picture and conducted an investigation that's authentic, that made Jason Voorhees, Kane Hodder, uncomfortable. Wow. Yeah, that, that's a big feat to accomplish. <laughs> <laughs> and and if, and if you guys are listening, if you're fans of Kane and you want to know more about him personally and how he acts and things like that, you see this in the investigation. Um as a filmmaker when you send the films out for reviews to the critics you never know what people are going to say like we sent it to film threat and film threat like killed behind the sightings gave it like a four um mm -hmm. but balsam came back with a seven out of ten and they said this was you know for any fan of friday the 13th franchise that liked kane hotter whether you believed in ghost or not and that was like that that I, I that was what we were going for because to to me as a horror fan it was just a, a, such a great honor to to work with Kane and when I sent the picture out to Kane for him to to view it before we locked in the cut for Kane to say this was a good film I like this it just meant a lot to me right right and like you know, and I, I think this is a good film. This is a good paranormal investigation film. And, like, with that said, you know, this is, like, a paranormal investigation documentary, but it it more or less is also just a documentary of Kane because, you know, we hear about some personal things about Kane that maybe no nobody really knows about. And, you know, we, we kind of get to dive into a little bit of Kane's personal life uh, in this documentary as well. Yeah, and that's what shocked me because I didn't, I didn't know where this thing was going to go. To be honest with you, um, anytime you're working with the supernatural or the paranormal, you don't know. I mean, it was a possibility we were going to go there and nothing would happen. Right. Um, you, you you don't know. I mean, that's the that's the the risk for when you don't stage stuff, and. You know, fortunately for us, this the, we showed up and this whatever's there showed up. And a lot of people was like, what is there? And when you're dealing with the real paranormal, you don't know what's on the other side. You know, I, I honestly don't know what I, I mean. I believe something's on the other side because something's in there communicating intelligent responses to you. Mm hmm. But it's the only way to know for a hundred percent is to go there, and I'm not trying to actually go there for a long time, you know. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, I'm. I'm kind of like you guys. Like, I'm. I'm a skeptic, but I, you know, I, I still believe, like, you know, that there are ghosts and, and spirits and whatnot. But I'm one of those people. Like, I have to find out firsthand in order to get that experience, or you know, like to, to actually feel something like it's not normal or you know like on the ovulus hearing uh you know spirits actually communicating and and you know from watching the documentary 
it seemed like whatever spirits were there uh, were really gravitating to Cain. And whenever Cain's presence was talking to the ovulus or around the devices, uh, they kind of gravitated to when he was holding the devices and, and uh, you know, talking. And I've and never seen that before. I've never seen that device do that. Um, and it wasn't until, what was funny is it wasn't until Mark made the statement, like, Cain's a good guy, you can talk to him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that that started happening because we filmed a bunch that nothing happened and then just all of a sudden it was a turn and I, I don't know I couldn't pinpoint it down to what but it, it was it was just a, it was just amazing to see Kane have that kind of interaction and then the other thing that if people get a chance buy the DVD is on Amazon the movie's not going to be on Amazon Prime. It's not on Amazon. It's on Vudu and several others. That's because Amazon is not taking documentaries. Hmm. And I can't market this as a, a found footage horror movie because it's a real documentary. Right. Um, and, and it is what it is. But the, the, the DVD on there and the bonus features, I got some really cool footage with Kane. I also got the other trouble when you shoot a paranormal is your camera people get scared too. So we have a scene in the kitchen where I'm standing beside a metal table. People are kind of losing control because stuff's starting to happen and nobody's getting this on film because the camera people are kind of shaking up. The investigators are shaking up and Kane's sitting there like nothing's happening, but nobody's filming this. So... While this is going on, somebody turns the camera on me because I get I was getting ready to say something, and there's a metal table right beside me that something hits mm. and scares the crap out of me, and I take off running. I ain't gonna lie, my, I'm I'm a bigger dude, <laughs> and I, I I don't fear no man, but if I can't see it and it starts coming coming at me, I'm not gonna sit right there. I'm not gonna I'm not, we ain't gonna do that, right. Um, you know, you can fight the living, but what you going to do to the dead? I can't do nothing to something that's already dead. How can you fight something you can't see? Yeah, but Kane makes fun of me over that, and I thought that was funny. <laughs> I'm like, hey, if anybody, I'll take it from, from, from fucking from Kane, you know? Right, right. I mean, yeah, it, it was. his fucking Jason, you know, Jason Voorhees. <laughs> and he, and he's, and he's unfazed. He's like, it wasn't that loud. I'm yeah. like, but it shouldn't have been nothing. It's nothing should have happened. Like nothing should have been making noises. And that's what gets me with these paranormal things is when you're in a room that nothing is in there but you and something is making noises, that means something is in there. Yeah, you would think, right? I mean, you know it's not the wood creaking. You got cameras out, so you know it's not animals. Yeah. So it's it's like what it what is this? It's not my imagination because I'm capturing the sound on film. Yeah. So it, it to me it, it all creates a lot more questions, and, and it's funny because when I talk to paranormal investigators, they act like oh you know they do this stuff all the time. I don't do this stuff all the time. I only do this if I'm filming. Yeah. You know I'm not the guy you call if you want grandmama's ghost to cross over from your haunted house. I'm not that guy. I'm a filmmaker. <laughs> So, to me, as a horror fan, 
nothing's more horrifying than seeing something that's really unknown. Yeah. You know? Yeah. We kind of lose that safety because as horror fans, let's admit it, it's safe to watch a horror movie because you're in your home. But when you're in a 112-year-old hotel with the lights out, with stuff making noises, it's like, really? What did I get myself into? Right. <laughs> you know? Yeah, it, it takes it to a whole <coughs> new level of uh, fear and, uh, you know, whatever gets your adrenaline rushing, you know. And it, it, like, when I mention, like, the adrenaline rush, like, I think that's, you know, one of the reasons why a lot of people watch horror movies and why they like horror films is because they want to feel that adrenaline rush of, uh, of being scared or, you know, just being put in tense situations. Uh but, you know, ghost hunting, paranormal investigations, that could definitely uh, put, you in, <laughs> put you in those situations uh, for sure, quickly. Yeah, and it's, and it's I, th- I think it's, 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 a we- it's a weird situation in the fact that the horror community and the paranormal community, there's very little crossover. Because a lot of us as horror fans are like, whatever about the ghost. Mm-hmm. But then at the same time, we'll turn around and watch Paranormal Activity or we'll watch a Paranormal Found Footage film. So my whole idea around this was, what if it was real? What if you really went to a haunted place and really did the investigation and you really got what you got? Yeah. And that that's what, to me, makes this, you know, terrifying. And But at the same token, very special because you get this insight into Kane who you know, has done so much for the horror community. Um, and I don't know if you know this. Did you know he was on Ghost Adventures? No, I didn't know he was on there. I, I did a, a, a clip on TikTok under uh, Paranormal 13 is the handle I have for the movie. Uh, and he, Zach Bagans asked him, they were at the Pico House episode, and Zach Bagans asked him, said, hey, what's it like to be choked by Kane Hodder? <laughs> so Kane just gets up and chokes the crap out of him. <laughs> and it's the funniest thing in the world because if Zach really knew Kane, he wouldn't have asked him that. Kane will, he ain't got no problem with choking somebody. I mean, exactly. <laughs> I mean, it, it's, he, it's funny. He does it at conventions that, you know, like if people really – want him to he he will choke him for pictures and whatnot <laughs> yeah and i'm ex- i'm excited um you know it's 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 a it's a weird place to be because as a filmmaker you work with a lot of different talent with a lot of different people that's done a lot of different things and you have to maintain a certain level of professionalism but it's always wonderful to work with somebody that you're actually a fan of yeah. And they're actually a, an amazing person in real life because a lot of times you meet people and they're not the person we know as a fan in in reality. But right, Kane's right. just, you know, he's, he's, he's amazing all around. And he, he's, I think we talked about this briefly before, but he's doing Leatherface in the Texas Chainsaw Massacre game. Yeah, yeah, I did uh, hear about that. And so what uh, Matt Monster is doing is they got an exclusive first time ever Kane Hodder Leatherface photo op. Oh, holy shit. I didn't yeah. hear about that. That's fucking badass, dude. 
Yeah, so I'm I'm like, oh yeah, I'm going to promote my film, but at the same token, I'm going to get this photo op because this is like a once in a lifetime thing. I mean, it's not like Gunner can come back and we do there, there's no more Gunner Leatherface photo ops. So, you know, Kane was actually Leatherface for a little bit, I think, in part three, maybe it's two or three. Yeah, I think he um, did some stunt work, right? If I remember. Yeah. Right. So yeah. So he wore the mask, um, which I think was is kind of cool but the fact that the game and these this is gun media that did the game and i don't know do you play the friday the 13th game um i mean i do own it and i i did play it a lot i haven't really been playing a whole lot lately but but yeah i'm pretty familiar with it it is see he played all the jasons in that game yeah so I, and gun media is the same one that did the friday the 13th game so the texas i think the texas chainsaw massacre game is going to be better than the new texas chainsaw massacre movie to be honest i mean they yeah. even spelt it they even spelt it right with the you know the chainsaw with being separated right well what uh really got me excited was uh i think they posted like a key art video but uh, yeah. and just kind of like a time lapse of making the photo and like you know the photo really looks authentic to the Texas Chainsaw universe and seeing like the hitchhiker on there and uh, the what's his name the the one guy that makes like the chili and and shit the older yeah brother. the dad yeah the dad like you know it it makes it makes me uh, I guess excited to see like you know maybe they're really gonna try to make this like authentic to like the original and bring in like the original characters and you know i mean who knows they might even expand throughout the whole universe which would be kind of cool like how they did with uh the friday the 13th game where they had like every jason and then you know characters throughout all the movies incorporated into the game you know i hope we see something similar to that in the new game yeah, I agree with you. I think that would be something really good because at the end of the day, I, I think those people at Gun Media, at the end of the day, they really put their heart and souls into trying to make these games as authentic. And they have a friend of mine, uh, Tom Devlin. He did. He was on Face Off. He's a special effects guy. Mm-hmm. And they had him um, out there helping with the project too and he anybody that knows tom he owns a monster museum he is like he he's a prop guy that knows hey this ain't right you got to dirty this up a little bit like and he's a horror fan Mm -hmm. so to have people like that involved that actually care you know that's a that's that's amazing and then speaking of prop guys i gotta shout out mark uh richardson he was in balsam He's, you know, he investigates on the side, but he, his main job is a, a prop guy, prop oh, master. Really? Yeah, and he did the props for Rob Zombie's Halloween. Um, he also, he's done like his IMDb, he's got like 500 million things, but he oh, did. Um, That's awesome. He did, he did all the original Power Rangers TV shows. Hmm. So, so anybody that was a fan of Power Rangers, damn, that's awesome. <laughs> he did that. Yeah, I was, I was, I was, because I wanted to. When you ask somebody like Kane, even though Kane knows me, to come to some place 
as rural as Boston, North Carolina. I wanted to bring somebody that came new. <coughs> right. I was more and, familiar with, so, you know, they could work well together. Yeah. And, uh, like, it, when you watch this movie, I don't know if you get a sense of it or not, but you're literally in the middle of nowhere. I yeah. mean, there's a major highway, but this is really rural North Carolina. This is, I joke with people and say it's squill like a pig territory because that that's where they, I think that's where they did film some of the mountains of North Carolina is where they filmed some of, I, I spit on your grave if I'm not mistaken. Mm. Um, but it's, I don't know, I, I, it's it's an amazing opportunity. I, I'm, I, I think if, as a filmmaker, I want people to buy my film, but I, I encourage people to buy it not only for selfish reasons, but to support uh, Kane. Because a lot of times as a filmmaker, when we pitch projects and I say, hey, I can get Kane hotter in this, I can get that, I can get this. A lot of times studios don't want to use these guys. Um, for whatever reason, they, they, they shy away from it. Hmm. And the more financially viable we could prove something is, then the more we can end up seeing Kane in a project. Right. You know, because right. I'd love to do a, a, a slasher. I'm not just a parent guy or a found footage guy. You know, I, I, I'd love to do something brutal with him, too. For um, sure. You know, my goal is to, to create, you know, probably the most collective. I want to create in the near future in the next five years i want to create something so epic it's the most collectible and rare horror movie out there that's what's up yeah you know i i'd, I'd be down to check out something like that for sure um would, would you ever you know after filming balsam and you know finding everything that you found with this documentary would you ever do like another paranormal investigation film maybe like in a different location uh yeah i i we i filmed the pair i filmed one already paranormal proof with uh eric vitale from ghost loop um but I, the key to these things is finding a place that's true finding places that are truly haunted mm -hmm. that and not only do they have to be truly haunted, they have to be active when you're there. So it's not like you can go and stay somewhere for three months because you got the production budget you got to worry about. Um, so if I find the right location, I'm down to break out the cameras and see what's going on there. Um, and I have a ton of friends who are horror icons that would come, but what the situation that I'm in now when it comes to the paranormal is everyone's looking at balsam to see how well this does and does will Kane hotter fans buy and watch a paranormal film do yeah. horror fans want to see realistic paranormal investigations cut like a horror movie with horror icons Cause I got a ton of friends that are horror icons that are like, Hey, I'll go ghost hunting with you whenever you want to, but I just can't bring out badass people to locations that aren't extremely haunted and extremely active. Right. That makes sense. You know, 
In, in you know, the, I, all right, go ahead. I'm sorry. I was like, plus the money you, you make from the, the prior pitcher is what you use to roll over to make the next. So the fans are going to determine <laughs> what I get to make next. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, you know, I'll say, like, I, I rented uh, Balsam on Voodoo. And, uh, you know, as a, as a horror fan and, like, a skeptic of paranormal uh, I found this one enjoyable. You know, I like seeing Kane leading an investigation. And, uh, you know, I don't want to give too much away, but, like, I, I will say, like, one of the things that uh, I guess I would I want to say, like, got me, but, like, really kind of reeled me in was uh, when you guys set up the uh, investigation part of having one of the girls in the hallway with isolated headphones and... You know, she just talks up, uh, talks whatever comes to her mind, and what she says kind of yeah. makes sense of like you know, kind of maybe things you know would come later as far as making sense. Like uh, it was almost yeah. like communicating with Kane, and there's things that that was said that maybe Kane didn't register right at first until later. Uh, I just thought that was really cool. Yeah, I think he, he, Kane's very skeptic, and I was very skeptic. That method's what they call the Estes method. And typically what paranormal investigators do is they sit in the same room. One person has noise counseling headphones on, and the other person, I mean, and it's plugged into what they call a spirit box, which is making that sound. So what I did was I said, okay, one, we got to make it cinematically look good. Like I want it to look like a scene from a serial killer horror movie. Like you don't know if she's paranormal investigating or if Kane's getting ready to come out there and kill her. So I was like, let's set her up in the hallway, put the red light on her, make it look good. Um, and Amanda, and she's a sensitive. So basically she would have an easier time communicating or hearing things from a spirit than a normal person would. And, you know, it is what it is. I'm, I'm, I'm a skeptic. So I said, let's make this as hard as possible on everybody. Let's put her in a hallway. And then I hope it translates over in the film. But at the end of the hallway to the right in a whole other room is Kane and Maeve. And you, you hear Kane a lot saying, huh, what did she say? Because it was hard for them to hear each other, which kind of made it more believe I shouldn't say believable but it made it more authentic as to you don't noise contaminate like she couldn't hear their questions and they could barely hear her responses right right and it was just a weird it wasn't what I expect I didn't I had no clue what was going to happen when we set up that experiment and then when it when it when it happened that way and then Kane he was kind of like ah, I don't know if this stuff is you know I don't know if it's, he's not one to jump to the conclusion like if you watch the, a typical ghost show which this is not these these guys every little word they jump on it and search to find meaning right like oh did and, you hear what he said and it can like you know I'll say like Ghost Adventures sometimes is notorious for stretching out maybe a sound to to make a word yeah. and you know i'm not saying you guys did that in your film but uh i'm just saying like 
in that's general. what they do yeah that's what that's what that's what they do and we we took the approach of you know Kane and especially Kane is like let stuff resonate and analyze it for a few and everybody look at it before we draw a conclusion of what's actually going on don't get caught up in the moment right and and and, and it's weird i mean we he He's been doing this a long time. He's been to Waverly. He's been to all these places. Most of the places, and I didn't realize this until I worked with them, is most of the places that they shoot movies are also locations that are supposedly haunted. Hmm. So him, um, R.A. Mihailov, that Leatherface, um, and yeah. Rick McAuliffe, they they had the, the the Hollywood Ghost Hunters team like they'll go off when they're working on a picture together and do an investigation and see what they get. And for him to say for him this was one of the most active sites that just like that just blew me away. Yeah, yeah, that that is awesome. But I do appreciate you you watching it and anybody listening if they watch it I definitely appreciate it because it's a it's it's a situation where. You know, when you watch a typical paranormal show, it's faked and over-exaggerated, and this is clearly not, but yet I find it very interesting what we learn about the place and what we learn about Kane, and seeing Kane interact like that was just blew my mind. I was, I was nervous because um, the last few minutes of the film well, I'll give, I'll give this much away is that when we rented the hotel, the stipulation was we have run of the whole place except for this one room that was supposedly a small storage room. <laughs> but when we got there and I had agreed to that, we had learned that they, she doesn't rent this room because people got hurt in this room. And I'm like, ah, whatever. She just wants more money. So I offered her more money and she's like, no, I'm being serious. Like, paranormal investigators get hurt in this room all the time so i stopped letting people go in there uh at all hmm. and i'm like i'm like really she's like really i said so how much money you want no amount of money i was like okay so then that just made kane want to go in there right so she finally she's like i don't know how to do it so i guess she called her lawyer her lawyer's like as long as he signs a special release um, you know, it's on them. Yeah. And I was, and, and then to further complicate it, it could not be a cameraman in there. So we had to basically rig a camera for Kane to hold, plus put a police body camera on him. Wow. So when he's in that room alone, there's nobody in that room. And then Kane's the type, anybody that knows Kane, he's like, y'all, it's not, it's not enough just to be alone in the, alone in the room. We had to be on the other side of the hotel. Oh, wow. So all those little noises that you're like, oh, there's probably somebody outside the door. Like if, if I'd have took that scene and replayed every little noise in that room, that would have made the whole movie. Mm -hmm. So there's so much <laughs> you hear going on that, that I know the casual watcher is like, oh, that's probably the crew. No, there's nobody on that whole side of the hotel with Kane. <laughs> and I'm nervous as a director the whole time because we as the horror community love Kane Hodder. I don't want to be the guy that films a movie that Kane get hurts in. Not right, saying a right. ghost would hurt him, but I would hate for him to 
you know, fall or stumble. I mean, he's in a room alone in a 112-year-old hotel in the dark. <laughs> exactly. Like, the last thing on your mind is wanting to think that, oh, man, I hope Kane don't get hurt or, you know, because he's in there in the dark by himself filming. Uh, and, you know, you guys are probably thinking, like, so many things, like, you know, what what is he going to find or, you know, what's going to happen? Yeah, I'm like, what if a, the floor gives out? I mean, I wasn't even – I was worried not only with the paranormal stuff. I'm like, what if there's something structurally wrong with it? Because she wouldn't let us – because I said, okay, let me go in there and inspect this room so I know as a director that it is safe for Kane to be in. Mm-hmm. She's like, no, it's this. This is it's a dark entity that's in that room, and we don't allow nobody in there. And she's like, either take it or leave it. So I took it to Kane, and I was like, these are the conditions. He's like, let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, really, really, Kane, really? And then he's like, but y'all guys, y'all can't wait outside the door because it's gonna, we're gonna hear y'all. So go on the other side of the hotel. And I'll let you know when I'm done. Wow. Because I was like, can we set a timer? I was like, maybe we could do just like 13 minutes you're in there. He's like, nope, I'll come out when I'm done. He was in there for like 30 minutes, 30, 45 minutes. Holy crap. Yeah. And uh, it, it, it was the, the craziest thing that I've ever experienced. <laughs> I've And the most nerve wracking. And... and when you if you go back and you rewatch it, like I said, anybody please get the DVD. Um, you can go back and rewatch it, and and you'll hear noises, and you're like, oh, is that the crew? Is that the sound guy? There's no sound guy in there. In fact, the sound went out, and I had to note it on the screen that we're using backup sound off the police body camera because his sound went out. Now I hired a sound guy that works on TV shows. He's got top of the line sound equipment. And, you know, we're talking about, you know, 30, 40,000 miles worth of sound equipment this guy brought to the set that we were using. And he says it never goes out. And the issue is, that, and I'm finding this out more and more, when you go to a place that's truly haunted, the, the, the entities or whatever can drain the cameras on your batteries uh, equipment will malfunction. So you have that obstacle to overcome that you can't quite document on film. Right, right. Because um, they draw that power so that they could use it, right? Is that kind of like what what people have kind of came up with? Yeah, that's what people say. I don't know. I think they could just be drawing it to just mess with you. Like they know you're filming. Well, they, yeah, that could be. Because I, I struggle with that a lot is, you know, when you say, when you open the door, I look at the, people laugh, like the paranormal people laugh at me when I say this, but I'm like, the exorcist is the definitive of what's the worst can happen when you open the door to the other side. You know, Reagan played with the Ouija board and Captain Howdy, and she got possessed. Mm-hmm. And if I just bold it for you, if somebody's, if somebody's listening to this podcast you probably watched the exorcist if not i apologize for spoiling it for you i i would hope so <laughs> yeah um but the same thing when you do it for real when you open up a portal to or, or a, a communication line to the other side you don't know what's on the other side like if i was a ghost i would mess with people i wouldn't just be like hey 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 you know 
mm-hmm. I would I would mess with people because what else are you gonna do? You know? Yeah, yeah it was stuck stuck there in in limbo or you know whatever the uh, you know whatever you would call the afterlife. You know, if you're stuck there, why wouldn't you want to mess with people? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm not just gonna like knock people's drinks over and stuff like if somebody came in with this type of equipment and tried to talk with me i'm not gonna be like hey it's tony go buy balsam i'm gonna be like <laughs> you know i'm gonna mess with them the best that i can just to keep myself entertained right um you know so that's what i suit you know that's what i kind of goes through my mind and and the other thing that blows my mind is people tell us tell me and i don't i don't know i mean nobody like i said before nobody knows this stuff for a hundred percent until you're dead but a lot of people say that these evil that evil entities can read your mind so if this entity is telling you personal information and it's not is and and, and it's not people that should know that personal information then it's probably something evil yeah and that blows my mind too i mean it's it, the whole paranormal thing to me, people laugh when I say, the, the paranormal guys laugh at me when I say it. I say, it's horrifying. I, yeah, I'm a horror fan, but if you, go to a, if, you, if you go to a no BS place that's haunted and the haunting is active, it's, it's a lot of unexplainable stuff and it's very unsettling. Yeah, for sure. Beca- because the logical mind just can't grasp why is this door slamming why is this door moving because you want to say oh it's a breeze but when you say if it's not just a breeze make this piece of equipment talk and the piece of equipment talks you're just like holy cow you know (laughs) right right yeah man like you know this this is a great paranormal film documentary and you know i hope the listeners want to check it out especially if they're kane hodder fans and and or paranormal investigation fans uh yeah balsam paranormal investigation uh is is the name of the film and you know what i know we had mentioned before but maybe we'll mention again uh the film can be uh bought and rented from voodoo and then also on amazon amazon prime uh purchasing wise um is there anywhere else like uh do you have a website or anything that yeah, if they go to H13 Media, H the number 13 media.com. Um, it'll pull up both behind the sightings and balsam and all the places that they can stream it and purchase it. Um, I encourage people to get the DVD because we, we did some, some neat bonus features because this day and age as a filmmaker, it's like, why would you buy the DVD? One, take it to a convention and get Kane to sign it. Um, yeah. Two, it's got footage that'll never be seen anywhere else. I'm not uploading that footage in social media. The only people that are going to see that stuff is the people that own the DVD. That's awesome, man. Uh, do you have physical copies on the website as well? Or is yes. that just on yes. Amazon? Uh, they can order it from Amazon, Walmart, Best Buy, Barnes & Nobles, any major retailers carrying it. Awesome. Yeah, man, I've uh, definitely enjoyed having you on the show. I know, like, uh, I usually ask a bunch of other questions, but we've been uh, talking for over an hour and a half, and uh, you know, maybe maybe I'll have to have you back on again when, uh, well, you know, when you got more uh, 
work down the line, especially, you know, you're talking about the, uh, that you're working on another paranormal investigation film. Uh, what, what's, yeah. Do you have anything else lined up that, that you could talk about that you're working on? Yeah, I'm doing, a, I'm working on, I'm in pre-production on a couple of projects with Felissa Rose from Sleepaway Camp. Oh, nice. Um, and then I'm also working on a project with uh, a horror project with a very close friend of mine, P.D. Pablo. Oh wow! He's a he's a rap, he's, he's a hip hop <laughs> artist. Yeah, he's a he's a real good. We're you know we're both from North Carolina. We he's 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 the best. I'm North Carolina, come on and raise up. I used to have a take CD. your shirt off. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah, I awesome, just went dude. to El Paso with him a few months ago and got to hang out with the Yin Yang twins and him. Um, wow, you know he's he's a, he's a great guy. But we're doing something, you know, crazy and horror because uh, I'm always looking for, you know, unique opportunities to collaborate with extraordinary individuals, and he's an extraordinary individual. Holy shit! You know, P. D. Pablo in a horror film. I'm I'm sold already. <laughs> yeah. He's co-writing it. We're we're writing it together, the script and everything. It's actually all his, most of his his idea. He's he's a he's a great horror fan too. So once that thing gets packaged together and we're getting ready to shoot, we'll have to reach back out to you and right. you know yeah, that's what's up. G- give you some stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, down you know down the road, if you guys want to come back on and talk about the film, maybe like when it's released or something, that'd be awesome. Yeah, and then um, if for anybody that listened that is curious about distribution and things like that, just at age13media.com, you know, they can reach out to your show, you point them in the right direction, and, you know, Absolutely. we got to change the way, we got to change the way the community is and work together and take back over the horror genre and stop letting the studios run everything and controlling what we get to watch absolutely absolutely uh well maybe maybe i'll uh uh, ask you just a couple uh just general horror questions before we take off and then uh uh, you know if if you want to plug anything in at the end of the show again as well you can um have you watched any horror films lately that you would recommend yeah um I was shocked by a horror film called Spree that I recently watched. It's a found footage film. Uh, Drake and Future actually pro- executive produced that. I thought that was pretty neat. Um, the recently, the last couple of movies I watched, I watched the new Resident Evil, which I kind of, I kind of love hate relationship with how they do those. Mm-hmm. Um, but other than that, I've been in post production, so I have been editing the crap out of everything, mm-hmm. and not really, not really able to watch much. Right, right. Oh, that's cool, man. Yeah, I'll, I'll have to check out Spree. I haven't really heard much about that one. Yeah, the Welcome to Raccoon City, I think, is what it's called. Um, and then I, I'm excited. It's not a horror movie, but the the trailer that I saw that got me the most excited was this new Nick Cage movie. Oh yeah. The, 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 where he plays the himself. He... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that one looks pretty cool. I would definitely check it out. <laughs> it's it, it's it's kind of original in a way, like you're you know, it's unique. Like who who would have thought to make a movie kind of based off of, you know, something like that. Almost like uh, you know, playing himself in a bigger budget film. It's kinda kinda cool. 
Yeah. Yeah, man. Uh, I guess like the last question I'll ask you is, uh, do you have a favorite Universal monster or Universal monster film? I, I kind of do, and I kind of don't. Mm-hmm. Um, and I say that because it's like a, to me, I look back at the old Universal monster era, and each one of them has a special characteristic that that i really liked i like frankenstein but at the same time i like the invisible man um mm-hmm. if it, it, it and then i like the wolf man so it's like damn if i could if if and when i say like them when i look at the universal monsters i'm like what universal monster would i want to be i would almost want to be like on a rotating schedule where i could either be wake up and be frankenstein not Frankie. I wouldn't want to wake up and be Frankenstein. I'd either <laughs> want to wake up and be the Invisible Man or the Wolf Man. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. You know. But Bella Lugosi's Dracula, I mean, it's like it's like taking somebody to a candy shop and being like, What's your favorite? You can only eat one chocolate candy. It's it's Right. It's, it's hard to pick one, right? It really is. And that's another thing is people got to start back watching more uh, people buy the t-shirts and things like that. But go back and revisit these older uh, Universal Monsters movies. Um, a friend of mine did a movie with Ron Chaney called House of the Wolfman. Check mm. that out. It's like a tribute to the Universal Monsters. It's an amazing film. Okay. Yeah, I'm definitely going to check that out. Yeah, I, you know, I dig the Universal Monsters and I... I think I've even said this on the show before, but uh, I just I kind of call the Universal Monsters kind of like the blueprints of uh, film or of horror films. Is you know they're they're really the ones that really kind of started the whole horror era or horror genre of you know within the films. Uh, so you know I was like just hearing everyone's. Uh, reaction or answers to uh the universal monsters yeah i mean could you imagine doing a film where you each day of the week you woke up and you were a different like one day you woke up and you were frankenstein and you fell asleep and you woke up you were dracula you <laughs> fell asleep and you were like every day and in your life cycled like that like that would be amazing right that's that's and a good movie idea actually that's yeah the universal would sue the crap out of me if i did that <laughs> Yeah, I might have to talk to Blumhouse. They seem to have pretty good connections with them. Yeah, yeah, man. Uh, this, this has been awesome talking to you, and uh, I definitely really like talking about the the paranormal side of of you know your career, and then you know talking about uh, the experiences that you had at the Balsam uh, Mansion or uh, not mansion, but what what was the yeah um, the hotel it is. Uh, the hotel, the, yeah. The haunted I mean, hotel. It'd make a cool mansion, but I don't think I'd ever want to go back there again. <laughs> right. I'm. I'm. Uh, if I don't ever go back to Boston, North Carolina again, I'm. I'm happy. Right. Right. I don't blame you, man. But hey, Tony, man, this has been awesome having you on the show. I I appreciate you coming on. I appreciate you so much for having me on, man. You have a great one, and if you need anything else, feel free to reach out. All right, man. Sounds good. Well, that about wraps up my conversation with Tony Cadwell. Again, just want to say thank you so much, Tony, for coming on the show and talking about your films and 
paranormal activities and uh, the newer stuff that you have going on and, and talking about the horror genre with me. Uh, I, I got a bunch of stuff coming up for the Root Horror Podcast. I know that I was slacking just a little bit on releasing a new episode, so apologies for that. But uh, I assure you I got uh, plenty of more interviews lined up for you in the future with uh, next month uh, the Root Horror Podcast will be celebrating Women in Horror Month so I have at least four Women in Horror that are going to be on the show to talk about Women in Horror Month and the horror genre and uh, the work that they do within the horror genre so should be a fun month and in March I have a, a stacked list of interviews as well so I assure you that uh, more is on the way and should be a good year for the Root Horror Podcast fingers crossed but uh, no I, I think that what, what I got coming up is going to be awesome um, I will announce uh, you know since you're listening this far ahead uh, I'll announce uh, my next guest is going to be Brett Clements, and he is the writer, director, pretty much the creator of the video board game Atmosphere, or as you might know it as Nightmare. Um, was so stoked to be able to talk to him, so that'll be the next interview uh, right at the end of January. And, uh, and then, you know, we'll kick right into Women in Horror Month for February. And then, uh, you know, I already announced uh, I'll be having Manic Horror Reviews, a.k.a. Sam from Error 4444, or 44s. Uh, four I don't know how. I'm going to ask him when uh, he's on the show how he pronounces his company name because I think 4444 is, is a mouthful. So, <laughs> um, so it looks like uh, that episode will probably air in March. Uh, but I, you know, I already announced that he will be on the show. So we're looking at March is when the episode will air, since I'm taking time for February being Women in Horror Month. Uh, and then you know we're gonna be talking about uh, '80s Hong Kong horror films. We made a a stacked list of films that we think you should check out that is a part of the 80s Hong Kong horror and uh, you know as well as what's going on with error 4444 and you know what he can talk about their latest release that'll be uh, happening in March so fun stuff coming up Uh, there's there's more uh, behind the scenes stuff that's getting worked on but I can't announce yet so um yeah stuff to look forward to so uh just want to say thank you all so much for listening to the podcast and uh if you would like to become a supporter of the podcast and help uh keep the show running you can go to anchor.fm forward slash root horror podcast forward slash support and any support that you could give us a month would be greatly appreciated um for all other inquiries wanting to get a hold of me uh for for whatever reason uh you can reach me at 
rudehorror at gmail.com. We're also on the social medias, Facebook and Instagram, at rudehorrorpodcast, on Twitter, at rudehorrorpod, and uh, also uh, check out the website. Uh, I'm adding new stuff on there all the time. The webs- Our website is rudehorrorpodcast.com. And you can check out all the guests we've had on the show, uh, a couple of written interviews. Uh, I'm shortly going to be adding some more stuff to it. So if you want, check it out. And, uh, you know, as far as uh, Tony's uh, website and everything, uh, I will put in the link of the description of this episode. So if you want to check out his website uh, and then also the movies, which, you know, we've covered that they're on. Amazon Prime and Vudu. Uh, check them out. And uh, let me know what you think of them because uh, I, I think they're pretty awesome. So uh, that is about it. Uh, just quickly want to say thank you so much to Nightlight for providing music to the show. And again, thank you all for listening so much. I'm just going to end this with stay tuned for the next one.
You're listening to the Prescribed Films Podcast Network, home to hundreds of hours of free podcast entertainment. The shows on this network all have a common goal, providing you with the best discussions about movies and other forms of entertainment media. The PFPN hopes to fill your ear holes with audio joy. Visit our website with links to all the other amazing shows at www.thepfpn.com. Thanks for listening.